0: Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organise and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook but sitting next to Notion it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to Notion.com slash squared, that's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash squared lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action and when you use the link you're supporting all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
2: Thank you so much for that incredible introduction and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited to be here this evening with such an incredible panel of distinguished guests. And I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation about what is undoubtedly an incredibly important topic. And this issue of how much attention and how much coverage to give terrorists and how much time to spend discussing terrorism is something that I think a lot of us have thought about. As my, uh, as being a journalist myself who has covered many terrorist attacks, it is something I have often grappled with. Are we part of the solution? Are we part of the problem? How much is too much? Certainly it's something we can't ignore, but are we spending too much time on it or As President Donald Trump has suggested, are we not covering it enough? So there are a lot of different viewpoints on this uh, this topic, and that's why we're so lucky to have this incredible panel. I start here with, to my left, Simon Jenkins, who is, of course, uh, one of the UK's leading commentators. He was the editor of The Evening Standard, the editor of The Times, was chairman of The National Trust. He still writes a column weekly for The Guardian and also for The Evening Standard, and you can see him often on the BBC, and of course he writes a lot about this topic of terrorism and national security issues in general. Next we have Fouaz Jergis, who is a frequent guest on CNN, Um, we're privileged to have him. He is a professor of international relations at the LSE, and really he is one of the world's Foremost experts on this issue of jihadi terrorism. And he has written a couple of incredible books on this topic, one of which I'm just going to shamelessly plug Thank right you. now A History of ISIS. If you haven't read it, I'm being serious and sincere. It's an excellent book. Um, and he has also written another very good book about the rise and fall of Al Qaeda. And last but certainly not least, we have Douglas Murray, who is the associate editor at The Spectator. Uh, He is also a best-selling author and an award-winning political commentator. He focuses particularly on the UK and the US, but also on issues of foreign policy, terrorism, national security, and the Middle East. So you've got a lot of brain power going on here tonight. Um, so what I'd like to do right now, before we have our opening comments, is to get a share, uh, a sort of show of hands from you guys as to where, what your thinking is on this. So uh, those who agree with the motion that terrorists should be starved of the oxygen of publicity, can you put up your hands? Those who agree. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a pretty big chunk. Okay. That's interesting. And now can I ask those who disagree... To put up their hands. Mm. So it looks like the uh, supporters of the motion are in the majority at this stage. (laughs) Okay, and and those who don't know? Okay, a minority. So, well, I'm sure everyone's going to have a very firm opinion by the time we finish (laughs) hearing from our guests. Um, So let me start now with you, Simon, if you would like to give your opening remarks.
3: I think if you believe that the terrorist should be starved of the oxygen of publicity, why are you here? (laughs) Um, uh, My point of view for what it's worth is that I don't think terrorism is very important. Um, And I think we make it important, um, and by making it important, we make it important. Uh, It does not matter very much. Uh, A terrorist incident is is a happening. It's an accident. Uh, It it affects the people directly affected by it. Um, but terrorism does not threaten states. It doesn't threaten the integrity of America or Britain. Um, th- th- they can't invade us. Um, they can't do serious damage to our economy unless we let them. They cannot affect our values, our democracy, anything like that, unless we let them. Um, they, are, they are, to all intents and purposes, useless criminals. They simply blow things up and kill people. Uh, the only point at which they threaten us is by our reaction to them. They have no standing whatsoever, other than in terms of our reaction to them. And our reaction to them is conditioned by the publicity we give them. Uh, They depend upon publicity. The multiplier of publicity is what makes the terrorism act terrorist. Otherwise, it's just a killing. Uh, That's why very few terrorist incidents occur in in autocratic and dictatorial countries. They don't get any publicity. Uh, They get publicity where we give them publicity, and it's on that publicity that they feed. Uh, ISIS, interestingly, last week said they regard publicity as their nuclear weapon. It's the thing they rely upon to make their impact. Uh, we've become completely obsessed with them. Terrorism has been seized upon by the military defense establishment um, effectively to boost their budgets. Terrorists should be dealt with by, by crime uh, watchers, by police, by intelligence agents, and so on. They're not a source of, of aircraft carriers or bombers, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, we have gone far too far in reacting to them. And Donald Trump, who sooner or later will be mentioned this evening, um, uh, illustrates that so well by saying we should give them more publicity. What a lunatic thing to do. Uh, I simply think that the best thing we can possibly do is you cannot not cover news. And I'm sure tonight we'll discuss what this really means. You can't not cover news. Uh, you then hand the terrorist over to the much more terrorist thing, which is the rumour. You mustn't allow rumour to dominate news. But we mustn't over-exaggerate the significance of a terrorist incident. Um, the BBC spent four days on the Nice uh, atrocity, um, Obama comes over to march uh, in honor of the um, the, the Hebdo uh, massacres. It was an appalling way of glorifying this particular obscenity. I feel so strongly that the least we can do to publicize terrorists, the more we're likely to defeat them.
2: I just have to ask you, though, you mentioned, you say... Terrorism doesn't threaten states. I mean, it may not affect or threaten directly Western states, but if you look at Middle Eastern states or Iraq, Mm. for example, it seems that ISIS got pretty far in challenging their power.
3: ISIS is is an insurgency. Uh, Terrorism is a mechanism. It's not an ideology. Terrorism is a form of attack. Uh, You you, you try and kill people, Uh, you try and cause an atrocity, in order to terrify someone, to change them get them to change their mind or change their policy. Um, ISIS is an insurgency which is occupying territory now. That's a completely different matter from terrorism. They happen to use terrorist methods, but they're not, they're, their essence is not terrorism. Their essence is the setting up of a caliphate. So, I mean, I, I, I come back to my point. There's no point in terrorism if you don't give it publicity.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Fawaz.
5: Well, I, uh, I'm going to probably, I, I agree to a great extent with Simon, but I, before I do so in the debate, I, I want to I have two points in terms of context. Uh, The first point is that one of the lessons I have learned over really the last 20 years working on these groups, we call them social movements, uh, social movements that use violence for political purposes. One of the lessons is that whether you're talking about Al-Qaeda or ISIS, they're waging two battles. One battle on the battlefield to carry out attacks, whether in Iraq or Syria, or Libya, or Egypt, or Istanbul. And one battle is really for the hearts and minds, one battle for, to get publicity. They crave publicity. In fact, I would argue in their eyes, in the eyes of whether it was Osama bin Laden or Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the greater jihad is not to carry out attacks. The greater jihad is to get more publicity. To get The reason why publicity and coverage is very important because it's a force multiplier. And there are three reasons why publicity matters, coverage matters. First, they want to basically uh, trigger fear. Uh, I mean, the institution of terrorism, as you've said, it's all about fear. Uh, It's about really creating fears, instilling fear, terrorizing the enemy, and also about inspiring and motivating the base. They want to motivate their base, whether it's in Iraq or Afghanistan, or even some of the deluded young men in Western societies. And they also, as a potential recruitment technique. So when CNN and BBC and all of us go and talk about the attacks in Paris or Brussels, or uh, this is basically feeds into their narrative. They matter. They matter greatly. They have the capacity to terrorize Western societies. In fact, many of us now focus on ISIS as somehow ISIS has invented uh, the so-called social media. Let's remember that it was Osama bin Laden who pioneered the strategy of really appealing to the media. He turned his humble cave in Afghanistan into a meeting room where basically world-class I mean, uh, reporters visited his cave in Afghanistan. Let's remember Peter Bergen of the CNN, Robert Fisk of the Independent, <laughs> Abdul Bari Atwan, and many others. In fact, in the eyes of Osama bin Laden, the media was it. He wants to spread his message. He wants to basically get his message near and far, not only to Muslim audiences, but also to certain constituency in the West. So we need, when we talk about coverage regardless, that this plays into their own narrative. It matters a great deal. They crave publicity. The second point, in terms of context, I want to, and I want to come back to Simon's point, I mean, what we need to take into account, uh, again, if we take all the terrorist attacks uh, that have taken place since the mid-1990s, terrorism does not represent a strategic threat. Terrorism basically represents a limited nuisance, limited nuisance. Um, it's so sad and tragic when you have the Prime Minister of Britain, David Cameron, saying ISIS represents an existential threat to the West. ISIS represents an existential threat to the West. Well, the hell with the West if ISIS really threatened yes, the West. Exactly. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, the same thing with, I mean, Donald Trump now. He criticized the American media for not covering, I mean, terrorism enough. Again, you have now Western leaders who are using terrorism as a political tool, as a, a, and to come back to the argument that terrorism really represents a limited nuisance as opposed to a strategic threat. I mean, look what since 9-11, the average annual on between 19, between 2001 and 2015, we estimate that only six individuals have been killed in the United States and the United Kingdom in incidents related to Islamist terrorism. Annually, you're talking about six individuals who have been killed in the United States and the UK as a result of terrorist incident. We know that basically lightning in the United States kills 30 people annually. We know hundreds of people get killed as a result of deer causing incidents. Um, In Ohio itself, nine people die every day as a result of doses, high doses. Again, we need to keep, I'm not suggesting that terrorism is not insidious, is not dangerous. But what I'm trying to say is that too much publicity basically plays into the narrative of ISIS. Final point, I'm not suggesting we should not cover terrorism, because terrorism matters too. It's a a newsworthy uh, thing. It matters a great deal. It should be proportional. It should be, we should put it in perspective. We should have resilience. And the final point by really, I mean, overplaying, inflating terrorism, we are terrorizing ourselves. This is really what, uh, this is.
2: So you're not advocating for sort of self-censorship, but you're saying that media coverage should be more responsible, more nuanced, and there should be
5: less of it? Absolutely, and we we should tell the audience about, I mean, the effects of terrorism, the impact of terrorism, as opposed to, you know, more than I do, how many days we have spent on the, I mean, uh, terrorist attacks in Paris or Brussels. They were horrible. They were insidious. They were dangerous. But it was a kind of, I mean, playing into the narrative of ISIS and al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Giving them ammunition, providing them with the oxygen. This is their greater jihad, because they appeal to the base. We are invincible. We are indefeatable, We are bleeding the West, terrorizing the West. In a way, it's the oxygen that mm-hmm. sustains the narrative. And again, we are terrorizing our incidents. Final point, I know we'll come back to it. Let me turn the table on its head and say we're talking about whether terrorism provides oxygen to groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Let me say that as a result of this obsession, in fact, our coverage and obsession with terrorism, we are providing oxygen to populist movement in Western societies. We are distorting domestic politics in the West. In fact, this obsession with these kind of limited threat is providing oxygen to hyper, you know, far right movements, and in many ways, it's really changing dramatically, transforming Western politics. Not just playing into the narrative of ISIS and Al Qaeda.
2: Okay, Douglas, are you going to jump into the rescue of Western media? Oh.
5: Uh, <laughs> not likely. Um, <laughs>
1: um, thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm very glad this isn't a debate format because I think this question is so complex, and I think most of us have such. Um, contrary views were on this. It's a very good thing that it's not set up as an either-or thing. Um, the First thing I, I would say, but I agree very much with what Faraz just said about uh, that Cameron point. I, I entirely agree. I thought it was an absurd, uh, indeed obscene thing for a Prime Minister of the UK to say that ISIS is an existential threat uh, when it's no such thing. However, I do have to point back, uh, push back a little on something that Simon has already said. Um, terrorism can do serious damage. And as everybody knows, just from that one thing that's already come up twice this evening, the attacks in Paris in November 2015, it still is doing damage. Uh, it's still, uh, the Parisian economy, the tourist economy, has not recovered from that. It's still a, a city suffering from that. Now, I don't know how you could get into a situation where multiple suicide bombings go off in our nearest, the nearest capital city to this one, uh, where multiple suicide bombings go off at a football match, at a rock venue, drive-by shootings, Kalashnikov attacks in cafes and restaurants, and that wasn't reported. Or it just was mentioned, and we all got on with our lives. The public want to know that information. We want to know, I'm going to go to Paris next weekend. Is it a wise idea? Is it, is it, is it good to go or not? Of course we need this information, and we need the media to be reporting it. And... I have to say that we have to appreciate what the end point of Simon's uh, 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 point of view on this is. In 2013, when two British converts uh, to Islam, uh, two very radical young men, uh, beheaded, ran over in broad daylight in south London, in this city, ran over uh, a, a soldier at home on leave from Afghanistan, Drummer Lee Rigby, hacked at his body in the middle of the road, tried to get his head off with machetes, and so on. Simon described that as a mundane act of violence. Now, I don't think that is a mundane, mundane act. It was in your Guardian column at the time. No, sorry. <laughs> Anyhow. It, it, it was a mundane act of violence. <laughs> but, you see, for most of us, the general public, we don't think that the reporting of a soldier being decapitated in broad daylight by two such men is a mundane thing. Uh, It is certainly an act of violence, but we have to be very careful. That is is the end point of dismissing the terrorists, of saying we don't give them any oxygen. We we, we try to to get around it in some way. Now, I think, by the way, that that the censorship around terrorism already exists to an enormous extent in our societies. The media uh, in in this country and in America and elsewhere uh, don't show uh, anything like explicit images of the aftermaths of terrorist attacks, and there is a very good argument that actually if the public saw what those of us who've covered and seen uh, attacks have seen, that their views on this would be a lot harder than they currently are, and that the media actually holds this back from the public, and that as a result the public are less uh, um, enraged than they would otherwise be by this. But, you know, if you support the motion tonight, uh, how would you do it? How would you stop covering the terrorists when they carry out an attack in Paris for night and kill 130 people and leave many more wounded for the rest of their lives. How would you do it? How would you do it in the age of the Internet? It's plausible. You could get a press regulatory body uh, so rigorous that it stopped the remainder of the print press from publishing any information about it. People would go to the Internet. How do you shut down the Internet from covering this? Now, having said that, there's, there's one very important point on this which is that obviously the press have to show restraint. And I want to give you two very quick examples uh, in my life of the press clearly not showing restraint on this. And this is where there will be some unanimity on the panel tonight. In 2004, when the uh, British-born man, Ken Bigley, was uh, held hostage in Iraq by Abu Muzab al-Zakawi's group, Uh, many of you will remember this, there was a drip, drip feed of information on an hourly and daily basis by Zakawi's group. And they knew... And we knew from the moment that American forces ended up getting into his compound that his group were watching the British media like hawks because Tony Blair was being personally held responsible by a man being held uh, hostage with a knife to his throat. And if you remember, that man, Ken Bigley, was saying on camera, I blame Tony Blair. And the British press were blaming Tony Blair. And there was a moment there where the combination of uh, 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 an extremist group And the British press effectively helping them could well have brought down a prime minister in a democratic society. It came very, very close at that point. And the second example I would give was 10 years after that, in 2014, when uh, Jihadi John, uh, as he was called, uh, Mohammed Anwazi, another British citizen, was uh, executing, murdering, uh, beheading people in the Syrian desert. I would argue that was another time when the British press needed to show restraint, and a lot of it did. You'll remember that the Independent ran a front page saying that we are not showing the photo of this. That may have been an extreme example, but the British uh, press, once again on that occasion, the international press, were being used by that group to have this drumbeat of terror. So on that, I think there'll be some agreement. I think that the British press, by and large, does show restraint. I don't think we cannot cover the terrorists, but there are occasions when the press in this country and elsewhere has got it very badly wrong. So
2: let let me ask ask you Simon and we'll, we'll sort of have a bit more of a fluid chat now but you know I mean what you're essentially talking about amounts to self-censorship on, on a certain level and I just wonder does it confuse the role of the journalist at all because the journalist traditionally is not supposed to be a judge the journalist is supposed to be someone who is a filter who provides information to people who want to receive that information
3: well, I mean, let, 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 let's go back to that point. Um, what makes news? Um, n- news of someone issuing a press release is boring. Uh, news of somebody saying, um, I think you're a bunch of infidels and I wish you'd change your minds and become Islamist is, is, is boring. Um, so they do something truly horrific because they know that horrific things make news. Uh, you then have a problem. Um, that's what they want you to do. I mean, it's because... Some Chinese philosophers said, "Always ask what your enemy most wants you to do." We always answer terrorism with what they most want us to do. We fall straight into the trap of doing what they want.
2: But is it not our job?
3: Well, it's not our job to do their job for them. It really isn't our job. But what I do think is new, and this is, in a sense, the the point where where, where we we might discuss it, um, is this is quite unlike other forms of news. This is a form. When you're covering a war, you're covering a war. Uh, In this case, you are a part of the story. Because that's what the other side wants you to be. And in becoming a part of the story, you are, as you said at the beginning, a part of the problem rather than the solution. And I just think what I'm saying here is I think for, 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 for newspapers, it is no good simply saying, we cover every story. Mm. Um, because in the first place, you have, as, 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 um, you know, as, as we've been saying, you have a decision to make about how, how intensively you cover it. I mean, do, do you fly Hugh Edwards out to Nice, which is what the BBC did, um, I mean, that's exactly what I'm sure I said. Please, will you fly Hugh Edwards out to Nice? Thank you very much, BBC. You've done what we wanted you to do. You, to do. Um, you, you have a decision to make as to how intensively you cover the story. But I go beyond that, really, and say you are now the story. You are a part of what the other side wants to happen.
2: So, Doug- you, you,
3: can't, you can't just simply say, it's like another story.
2: Okay, Douglas, do you agree with that? Is there essentially a synchronicity going on or a symbiosis between... ISIS or groups like ISIS and the media, are they, are they kind of playing into each other somehow?
1: Yes, they are. I mean, we know the extent to which uh, people, for instance, in ISIS, use uh, the Internet to f- see what their coverage is like, you know, that day. I mean, there are, there are cases of this. Um, so there's obviously a, a synchronicity. I think, by the way, the whole thing plays into a, a thing which... I mean, it's not just on this subject, but on any subject. What is... What is the, the, the normal routine in the media now in the era of 24-hour news? Something happens, you need somebody to react to the something, then you need somebody to bring on the story. But Every journalist, anyone who's ever worked in journalism will know this, you know, you get a call for BBC, CNN or something. The Prime Minister said this uh, about this happening. I wonder if you'd call for this. <laughs> you know, and you know, well, no, usually. Uh, um, uh, usually it's in politics it's somebody calls for somebody's resignation. You know, that's another... Kick of the wheel. The story goes on a bit longer. Now there have been calls for resignation of this person after this thing that's happened, and so on and so on. So there is a, there is a there is a momentum to all news stories. Uh, keep pushing it. Keep pushing it forward. And the, the the reason why I mean personally I don't watch the if you don't mind me saying so the 24 hour news after any terrorist attack because something terrible has happened, and one doesn't learn very much about it by the you know the presence of said you know major reporter standing some miles away, you know, from the scene.
2: Okay, yeah. fair enough. I mean, but, Fuaz, I mean, don't you think there is a need? I mean, I, Because I think the point that we seem to be dancing around here a little bit is not that one shouldn't cover it or give them attention. It's about the kind of attention you're giving them. Absolutely. And instead of giving them catchy little nicknames, how about doing some real hard-hitting reporting that looks into ISIS as being a symptom of something and not necessarily a cause? I mean,
5: I think what we need to understand is that uh, there is a, two wars. And the, the, the other war, the media war, really is strategic for both al-Qaeda and ISIS. That everything they do in order to really, I mean, get attention. Everything they do is they want to instill fear and terrorize the public, whether you're talking about Iraq or Syria or Libya or Western societies. And in many ways, we have to make decisions. How much coverage we give to the, I mean, certain particular attacks. I mean, let's remember, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you away from... Uh, I mean, the the, the media itself, that initially ISIS is not really interested, was not interested initially in carrying out attacks against the far enemy, against Western societies. In fact, ISIS differs dramatically from Al-Qaeda because the basic focus of ISIS is on the near enemy, whether you're talking about Iraq or whether you're talking about Syria or Libya or Egypt. The reason why ISIS has decided to attack Western target because, again, it, it, because it perceives basically the U.S.-led alliance with France and, and uh, uh, the United Kingdom. So in this particular sense, we need to talk about why ISIS has decided to attack certain Western targets. What has happened? You know, what, what's the strategic mindset of both al-Qaeda and ISIS? We're not doing this. And in many ways, I mean, if you, if you follow, and, and in fact ISIS is delighted by the coverage it's getting, whether you're talking about Brussels or Paris or Germany or other places.
2: So what's the alternative, though? I still don't really have a feel for what the alternative is. Mean, I, I
5: think we, we, have to, we have to talk about these attacks. But think about it. I mean, you, you covered the attacks in Paris. I mean, nonstop for days, several days, every single television station. I mean, the, the, the amount of coverage is overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. I mean, you, you covered it yourself. Mm. And this is exactly what ISIS wants you to do. You're basically playing into the narrative of ISIS because ISIS basically is appealing to the base. ISIS is motivating, inspiring the base. And also ISIS is saying, well, look, we have capacity. We have capacity to strike at the heart of European societies. It's also as a recruitment technique. And we know, in fact, we have covered after every attack, basically increased number of young men and women who tend to migrate to these particular groups, whether you're talking about Syria or Iraq or Libya. Well, what do we do about it? Because we have a
2: responsibility to our viewers and our readers, too, and they do care about terrorism. They do think it's important. I
3: mean, care important? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we can all
2: sit here with our lofty ambitions and be like, oh, they don't understand. It's not strategically important. But 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 they they do feel it's it's, important. It's
3: ghoulish. It is a particular sort of horror deliberately designed to appeal to the ghoulish um, voyeurism in the viewer. That's what they're doing.
0: promo code, Squared, to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes there's also a producer, a production team and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. This
1: episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Now, that's a
3: good, reasonable question. I think myself, that it is, as I said before, it's quite unlike any other story. We're not just covering the story. We're covering a very particular sort of story, and I just think it's incumbent upon the media represented here to ask themselves, now, how do we exercise self-restraint? Because it is about restraint. I mean, at the moment, it's, I mean, an American president is building his presidency on terrorism. It's ridiculous. How on earth do we draw back from the state of, 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 of this obsessiveness? Um, I think, for what it's worth, that the, 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 the press regulatory bodies, such as they are, and the professional bodies ought to be preparing protocols, um, conferences, discussions about how we react to terrorist incidents. They ought to be, I mean, most news organisations, I think, probably including yours, do have a sort of protocol. I mean, uh, Le Monde uh, tried to restrain naming terrorists. Mm. Um, a lot of press organisations have ways in which they do handle this, and they are moderately effective. But I, I can see a situation in which, in which almost the government of the day says, not, not censorship, it says, look, you guys, you're really, a, you're really a part of the problem. You're a menace. But it is a fine line, the constraint?
5: censorship. I mean, you asked, I mean, of course the public apologies. Do you want to finish? No, right? no, no, no. I mean, the question is, to what extent does the coverage, the extensive, the overwhelming, the addictive coverage really produce certain public reactions? To what extent, in many ways... We are pooling, pouring I mean, gasoline on a raging fire. Just at the end, the last year of Barack Obama, the American public, I mean, we have surveys about this. The American public was, I mean, almost majorities opposed to any kind of American intervention other than here. in Iraq or Syria. And in the space of about four or five months, there was a marked, basically, difference in the reaction of the American public. Mm. A majority of Americans, basically, I mean, if you change dramatically as a result of the media coverage of the barbarities that basically taking place against Americans. Well, I don't know whether there was a causal link between how the media covered particular events and the change in the American attitudes about intervention, or whether somehow... I mean, the, the barbarities themselves brought about the, the uh, change in the American and,
2: and, and I think you raise an interesting point there, and I wonder, Douglas, if you could sort of expand on that a bit. You know, there, is there an argument to be made? We've heard President Donald Trump come out and say, we're not covering terrorism enough. And uh, to all of us who work in news, I think we were like, you must be taking the piss, was probably the first reaction. Yeah. And then they provided this list of, you know, I mean... Various attacks in Europe, many of which, in fact, we hadn't covered because they were incidents where maybe one person was stabbed and because the threshold is probably quite high at this stage for it to become a, you know, leading a a news broadcast. But
3: You didn't do enough on Sweden, did you?
2: (laughs) But do you think there's an argument to be made on the other side that we're not covering it enough, that we're trying to sanitise it, that by not showing the images, as you said, um, that by not sort of, you know... Go, going well, over every single incident. Well, can I
1: uh, firstly, well, the, um, the press already, the media already does a fair amount of editorializing before you even get to the discussion we're having. Let me give you one example um, ISIS, which is the subject of Fawaz's book. Uh, Thank you. If you'd like to hold it up again, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I've got, a, I've got a 10% deal. And uh, no. no. Um, uh, ISIS. Now, now the B, the main Brit- uh, broadcaster here in the UK, the one that we all pay for, the one that is, I think, responsible for uh, the fact that our media is not as divided as it is, in for instance, in America. there's much to be said for the BBC, the BBC uh, chose to not use that term. It's uh, so-called Islamic State uh, as the BBC. Well, that's an editorial decision it takes about the group. I've often said, if I keep on hearing the BBC call the so-called "Islamic State more times, I'll put my so-called shoes through the so-called television." <laughs> um, it, but it's an infuriating editorial decision, which never, they've taken before you've even got to reporting the story. That's why you can speak to a lot of people in this country who, despite this, uh, uh, what we're talking about here as being an over coverage, still have very little idea of what it is that ISIS wants. Because we actually don't have a lot of that discussion because our broadcasters and our press don't want to have a lot of that discussion. And so we go round and round on the pornography of violence. Mm. I'd much rather we had those, uh, those bigger and deeper discussions that meant you, you, that, that people knew what was actually going on with this group, what they actually want, and what
5: groups like them want. May, may I just, I, I mean, I, I'm glad you, you have mentioned Donald Trump. And what, <laughs> what, what really worries me a great deal uh, is not about whether we discuss, I mean, the phenomenon of terrorism. We should. Uh, I think the phenomenon of terrorism is going to be with us for the next 20, 30 years. It's byproduct of globalization. It's part of breakdown of societies in the Muslim world, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Syria. Uh, really, what we are seeing in the West here, basically, the reverberations of the breakdown of the state system in many countries. I mean, this is just, that's why I said it's nuisance. What, what alarms me a great deal is when I hear Donald Trump and other politicians on the heart of Europe. Collapsing terrorism with the refugees, collapsing terrorism with migration, collapsing terrorism with Islam. And this is and then you have a big existential problem in our hands. This is really where Western politics now this is the question, this is the challenge. How do you separate, how do you delink the phenomenon of terrorism, which is dangerous? In a limited way, right? Limited way. I mean, I call them really organized networks criminality. Why do we treat terrorism different than the mafia? Mm. Why do we invest terrorism with existential cultural overtones? I mean, the overwhelming majority of Muslims, I mean, I, this cliche, have nothing to do with ISIS or al-Qaeda. The over, overwhelming majority of victims are Muslims whether in Iraq or Syria mm. or Libya or Egypt or Afghanistan. But this is what we really are going round and round the question. To what extent does Donald Trump now use, and he has used the question of ISIS very effectively, politicians okay, in the heart of Europe.
2: Douglas but, okay, itching just, to just, just, very
1: quick, just it's slightly off the topic, but just it reiterates the point I was just trying to make, which is that an absence on one side creates something on the other. And this is a very good example. The... Uh, i said it for a long time. If if your entire media says that Islamic extremism has nothing to do with Islam, you will create a movement that says it's all to do with Islam mm. and all Muslims must be involved. In the same way as if you pretend that no migrant uh, into Europe is ever going to be anything other than the most brilliant PhD student, <laughs> you will create a movement that says they're all terrorists. Yeah. I mean, that is part of the problem.
3: But... you, you, you how do you answer the problem? i come back to Clarissa's question. I mean, you, you, you've got a peculiar thing here. You've got a, um, a requirement, which all intelligent, liberal people think say, um, which is to cover responsibly world events. Um, uh, there are lots of terrorist incidents in the Congo, in Uganda, or n- Nigeria, or Sudan. We just don't cover them. It's mm. darkest Africa. We don't cover them. It uh, doesn't matter how horrific they are. Yeah. We don't cover them because we've got this thing. We cover terrorists. And terrorism is something that happens to us in our country, not in their country. Now, if we give terrorism what I still think is a ludicrously exaggerated extent of coverage, um, and and I wouldn't go as far as you, and Douglas, in saying you know, I want I want to show pictures of the dead bodies as well, um, in in order to enra- enrage the population no, even further. I we should, but yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I just I, I just want to suppress that because unless you suppress these sort of tabloid images it's very difficult to get a conversation going about what is happening in Nigeria or Sudan or somewhere (laughs) else. Um, And and I I do come to a point, which I never ever thought I would in my life, with saying that I just somehow think the concept of censorship, self-censorship, but censorship has got to be part of this debate, and it has not become that yet. But let
2: me ask you this then, Simon, quickly, and then I will open it up to the floor, but just this idea of... One thing we haven't touched on tonight is the idea that we all work in a business... It is a for profit business, okay? And media is changing by the day. People go wherever they can for their information. It's not, no one buys, it, it, you know, the, the methods of consumption are changing, and people can go to where they want. Um, they don't have to come to us. And I guess if we engage in the kind of self censorship or whatever you want to call it, because I do think you raise a lot of fair points what if people stop reading The Times or stop watching CNN or stop... Because I guarantee you, if they're interested in reading about it and they want to know more about it and you're not covering it, they will change the channel or change the website.
3: Well, I mean, the, uh, that, that's not an answer that's a question.
2: Yes, that's um, why I'm I a mean, moderator I, and you
3: I, 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 <laughs> I don't think... I, I don't think the answer to the points we've been making is, is oh, you might lose money, um, uh, I, I, I'm old-fashioned enough to think that, that journalism is actually about a certain sort of ethic um, in which you try and find out what the truth is. You do not exaggerate the truth. You present the truth. Um, you don't become a part of the story. You stand back from the story. All these things uh, old as the hills. Uh, always nagging at our shoulder is the sun or the tabloids or Hearst or uh, whoever it might, might pull it. I mean, all these, these, these old gorillas. Always saying, oh, give us a better story. Give us a better story. You make more money that way. Um, The reason why I'm proud of journalism is is, is for 100 years, enough journalists have said, I'm not going down that route. I'm going down the route which simply says what I think to be the the correct way of looking at the world, and I'm going to go on doing that.
2: Okay, this seems like a good point to open it up. We've got um, two ushers with roaming microphones, so you put up your hands, and if you're in the gallery space, there's a standing microphone there. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to keep your questions, first of all, if you don't mind standing up while you ask your question, and if you can keep them as succinct as possible, and I'm going to take them in bunches of three and distribute them to the panellists. So let's start with you.
6: Thank you very much. Um, The question tonight is whether, does the media react to terrorist events? I would like to ask, is the real problem that geostrategic powers overreact to terrorist events? So, for example, one thing in this debate that I find very dangerous, we haven't mentioned terrorist attacks on India, for example. We forget after 9-11 there was an attack to destroy the Parliament of India to try and wrench Kashmir out of the Indian state and start a civil war on the subcontinent. We have the Mumbai attack of 2009, which, though had a smaller death count than most of the wars of the 20th century, could have led to a war between Pakistan and India which is the greatest location where nuclear exchange could take place, a war of vastly destructive um, potential could take place due to smaller events. In the Middle East, for example, are we seeing the disintegration of Syria and Iraq into its sectarian elements and terrorism is a symptom of the problem and not actually causing the problem? So, for example, um, before 1914, the anarchists and their bombs could kill some thousands of people, but it was then the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, and then the overreaction by geopolitical powers that then caused the massive problem that we now have.
4: Okay, and another one? I think it's clear that nobody is arguing for censorship. It's about restraint and against sensationalism. But if it's sensationalism, I would argue that, or, or ask, isn't it isn't that really a threat in terms of our reaction? Because it, uh, uh, it feeds an agenda, even here, uh, of people who want to um, curtail civil liberties. But the real threat now is that there is someone in the United States behind the president who believes in chaos. Um, I dread the next uh, uh, attack on the United States, which is bound to happen, because we really might see a genuine threat to democratic institutions given the people in power today. Isn't, isn't that a threat? Simon? Okay, another good question,
2: <clears throat> and I'll take one more and then I'll distribute these to the panel. Should we have one from the gallery? Yes, sorry. I thought I was safe. Um, I suppose... I think we've talked about this a little. Simon, you referenced it. We are
1: talking about terror through a lens of terrorism that happens to white Westerners. And, um, Douglas, you asked the question earlier, like, how would we stop it? And I think the simple answer to how we stop it is that we do appear to... Stop it whenever it happens to Muslim people, brown people, black people. Look at what happened in Canada. And I know it's very easy for us all to say, nobody <coughs> changed their Facebook profile to a Canadian flag and says, just we Canada. But I, I, we need to have that discussion. Why are we as the media complicit in not covering terrorism that happens to people of other... Mm-hmm. Fates.
2: Okay, so I'm loving how many American voices I'm hearing tonight. Um, That's a rare this is comment. our night, ladies. Okay, so let me start then by asking you, Simon. The first question, very interesting one, is the real problem the media, or is it geopolitical powers that are overstating the terrorist threat for their own strategic purposes? Well,
3: firstly, I mean, terrorism is not new, um, but it's new in the sort of global sense that it no, you know, we're now experiencing it. Um, we are we are completely obsessed with it. It's, it's the dominant uh, narrative of defence policy, for instance, which has nothing to do with terrorism, to my mind. Um, I mean, it, it, soldiers have seized on it. We can, we can handle terrorism. Rubbish. I and mean, They just can't. Um, so it is new in that sense. But it's, 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 it's not new in another sense. I mean, people have always been mesmerised by extreme violence. And um, people have employed extreme violence in order to get their message across. Um, and to that extent, giving them what they want is what we've been doing. Uh, All I'm saying is that I think now it's it's of a different order. Um, The fact that we don't cover certain terrorist incidents or certain terrible situations is not the same thing, is is, is, is a different point. The point about terrorism is it depends upon the press. That's my point.
5: To come back to Simon, uh, in his uh, introduction, has said, uh, correctly so, that uh, terrorism in terms of numbers, in terms of uh, substantive Uh, Casualties, even though every casualty matters, human life matters, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about, even though six individuals get killed in the United Kingdom and and the United States every year, these are human beings, matter. But we're talking in terms of the institution of war. Six people are six people, as opposed to 60,000 or 80,000 people. By the way, um, 85% of casualties, the casualties of terrorism, take place in five countries uh, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Uh, Nigeria and Libya, uh, so the, the overwhelming number of casualties, and, and uh, we, we, we hardly tend to make the distinction. I mean, think of the way we covered, as you know, before the, the Paris attacks, there was a major attack in Beirut, in western Beirut, in which 200 people were killed. It received hardly and, and this, Harvey, any attention? I was there. <laughs> but hardly any attention in, in, this, in Beirut. Yeah. I was in Beirut too, and there was a great deal of controversy. Why BBC and CNN mm-hmm. does not really respond to the, an attack that killed hundreds of people? While in Paris, again, they, it, it tells you a great deal. But that's a different situation. But to come back to the central question, mm. terrorism really—the way we react, the way we respond to terrorism—basically has tremendous significance mm. to the terrorists and also to the values. Not just Donald Trump. Populist movements throughout Western societies now are using and abusing terrorism. They're collapsing terrorism with migration, with refugees, with cultural entities in order to basically, I mean, for political ends, undermining the democratic values in Western societies.
2: And Douglas, I mean, you know, the third question I thought was really interesting as well, because it touches on an issue that we haven't got into very much tonight. But because semantics matter, the very definition of this word terrorist that we bandy around so freely, uh, but which I think means many different things to many different people, um, it has become synonymous with... Uh, Islam somehow in the minds it has been falsely mm-hmm. collapsed as you have said in the minds of many people to the point now where an American man goes and, and if he's white and takes a you know an, an AK to his nearest shopping mall and or goes into a uh, African American church and kills twelve people he's not called a I mean, terrorist I mean, he's called d- deranged I mean, I, or I, disturbed or you know. And I wonder, Douglas, if you, know, if you have any thoughts on the idea of how we appropriate the, the sort of... how we use this term terrorism mm. and who we choose to call the victim of a terrorist attack and who is just yeah. the victim of a, of a lone Crying, wolf cry, or...
1: I mean, I mean Crying, if yeah. I may just make two points on this very quickly. One, to the lady up there. I mean, I don't think we should beat ourselves up too much about the coverage of terrorist attacks that have a proximity to where we are. This always happens after a terrorist attack now. People say, you know, why, as far as is, you know, why have you got so much attention on Paris and less on Beirut? It's because Paris is Paris and Beirut is Beirut, and Paris is near <coughs> us... And most people feel more kinship, and they've probably been to Paris, and more people have been there than they've been to Beirut. I mean, you can always play this game. It's regrettable. But it's not, it's not only us, you know, in our country that feels like that. Um, when something happens near you, it's, it's more import to you than if it happens far away. And sadly, it mean, at least feels far away for most people. And so, of course, that, that's going to be the case. We might regret it, but it's not unnatural that that's, that's the way in which it's, the things are covered. Secondly, on this thing, as it were, about motivation, I... There's another thing that happens now after any terrorist attack, which is uh, it happened uh, uh, recently. Of um, uh, what was it? There's a sort of graphics that get sent around Facebook, social media, Twitter, all that kind of thing. You know, the number of people killed each year by I don't know lawn mowers versus the number killed by terrorists. You know, everyone has a great chuckle. You know, you're more likely to be killed by your toaster than you are by it. You know, and all, and that also it, it, that also sort of skews the whole debate because. You know, I don't deny those stats in certain countries. By the way, they always tend to be, you know, things like... A uh, how many people have been killed in America by terrorism since the 12th of September 2001? You know Six that people, sort of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, but the, the, the point people. is that this, but this is so. So you guarantee you know, it always starts from a certain date that pre, that you know helps the statistic, as it were, because if you did it 24 hours earlier, you've got to put in 3,000 more people, and so on. Same with Paris. They don't pass around the Paris uh, uh, death toll statistics on the same map because they're they're not 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 as sort of giggly uh, for a bit. Um, but again, I know like. I don't deny that a toaster can be dangerous, or a lawnmower. But if there were a movement deliberately making dangerous toasters, you know, or deliberately miswiring lawnmowers to make sure they kill their owners, you know, I'd want to know about it, and so would you. And, and that's what we're dealing with, movements that actively want to do this. And so, of course, there's a, there's a disproportionate emphasis on that, because that's what matters. Okay,
2: let me take some more questions, because we've got so much good stuff we're talking about. Uh, yes.
0: So um, I think it's unrealistic to ask media to stop covering terrorism in general since way before this era of terrorism, if it bleeds, it leads, has kind of been the way journalist has been act- uh, journalism has been acting. Um, however, Simon did bring up a point in that it, terrorism is unique in that media themselves are implicated in the story. The question is, do you think that as a result media should not be more self-reflective and actually bring this as part of the story to the public, that they themselves are a part of the story, and educate the public on that role that they're playing as well as educate the public on how they too could play a role by doing things like posting on social media and fanning the flames even further.
2: Okay, good question.
0: Oh, yes, sorry.
4: To the extent that the media shows restraint... Is there not a danger that social media will fill the vacuum, fill it with lies, and then the, the official media has got a decision? Does it now report on what the social media is saying, or does it still restrain itself? It's a very difficult trade-off. How, where does the panel think that the line should be drawn? Good question.
2: Okay, well, let's start, Simon, with the first question, which was directed to you. And this was an interesting idea. Should the media bring this whole question of media complicity and, or you know, media's responsibility and media's role to the public and engage in a sort of dialogue about their role, the public's role, is that a productive way of, of dealing with this conundrum somehow?
3: Well, I mean, y- yes, and it sort of answers the last question as well, which, which is, and this is new, how do we handle social media? Mm-hmm. I mean, once we had a nice monopoly. I mean, the journalism profession uh, and the big media organisations had it all their own way. Um, now we're being challenged by new means of communication and uh, and we're in trouble, or regarded as being in trouble. I personally think editing is going to come back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think -hmm. think they're going to be regulating the social media. Uh, Google and Facebook are going to be under huge pressure to, to, to moderate what they're doing. Um, we're in a period of anarchy at the moment so I think it'll change and that'll answer some of these questions at least but I mean um, uh, yes uh, whenever there's a, a horrific incident I mean I and other people usually write an article saying exactly the same thing please don't over exaggerate the implications of this incident um, spitting in the wind but at least you feel you're saying what you believe um, and I, I, I don't know I just think I, think that, I mean I agree the, 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 nothing's going to change if it bleeds it leads um, on the other hand, um, when, and I come back to this point, there's a particular thing about a terrorist story which is unlike any other story. It is not like our normal stories where we're standing back and we're putting up a camera and witnessing something. We're actually, we're actually a part of the story. And to that extent, the only way of handling anything is, is as you suggest, to try and explain that we're part of this story.
2: Douglas, I want you to respond to that, but I wonder if you can do it also in the context of answering the gentleman's question which was about this idea of we can editorialize and use this, you know, nice bit of sophistry that kind of takes the edge off of things and makes us all feel quite happy with it. But are people then just going to go to social media where they can mm. hear the real tough talk and, you know, cut through the bull as yeah. Americans would say?
1: Um, I'll, can I answer that first if I may? We live in an extraordinarily perilous time in general with information in this regard at the moment. And let me give you uh, two very quick examples that don't have directly to do with the thing we're discussing tonight, but which which speak to it. Um, The way in which you can now pump a lie or a rumour straight into the mainstream news is far more worrying than I think people are aware of. Let me give you two very quick examples. Um, uh, Eighteen months ago, uh, when a... Conservative Party donor who is disgruntled that he hadn't been given a place in the cabinet for his cash donations um, releases a biography of the then Prime Minister making the most lurid possible claim with no source that any newspaper in this country would would stand up and publish on the back of about something the Prime Minister was alleged to have done as, as an undergraduate at Oxford those of you who know I'm not going to repeat it um, <laughs> But uh, that was said in a book published by the author at the author's expense, the disgruntled former friend of the Prime Minister's. He managed to pump that claim directly into the system of the British press, and it was on the BBC and everywhere. Why? Because the papers know that if they don't repeat the allegation that is baseless and so on, it's all over the internet, and all their readers are going to go over the internet. Let me give you another example of that. A a claim made before or around the time of the recent election, uh, no, after the election, before the inauguration of Donald Trump, about uh, uh, allegedly compromising uh, information from the Russians. Without saying any speculation about where it comes from, again, a story which normally a newspaper would not be able to run, because there's no source for it, there's nobody backing up the claim is put into a website which then is so lurid that it goes all around the world and before you know it the Times of London is reporting the lurid thing that nobody ordinarily would pick up because it's on the net and they know that all of their readers are going to disappear onto the net otherwise. So if that can happen with these sort of grotty you know, innuendo stories we have to consider how vulnerable we are in general to much more serious stories now, and I think it, I think that that dividing line has become very, very dangerous. Mm,
2: excellent point. Another round of
0: questions.
5: Um, hi there. Oh, sorry, should I wait on? No, go
0: for it. Okay. Um, this is really fascinating. So, thank you. Um, I, I was curious.
2: We're obviously talking a lot about the media and whether or not we should, you know, talk about this or not talk about this, and where's
0: the line, and blah blah. And I wonder, you know, we're talking about the fact that it's really unlikely to be involved in a, a terrorist attack, and you were saying, you know, should we be asking them what they want instead? Is not talking about it the solution? Mm. Or and, and what
2: is? What is the solution? Right. Should we just not talk about it at all and it'll all go away? Are we inflating our own importance in all of this maybe as well, and we could stop talking about it and it would still keep happening?
1: <laughs> Probably just following on from that, um, are we financing terrorism by providing the oxygen of publicity
2: okay and number three okay yeah
5: uh, hi the um, Simon Jenkins position is um, incredibly plausible and, and a sort of desirable position for the uh, the educated elite which was a phrase he used but we here probably represent a, a vastly disproportionate proportion of the of the population at large and my question for the panel is, are we not in danger of underestimating uh, the reaction of the wider population that the educated elite is imposing some sort of self censorship and, therefore, creating suspicion?
2: Excellent question. And if we can keep our answers a little brief, do you, do you want to start with that one, Simon? Because you look sort of um. inspired to
3: speak. <laughs> there are
2: are we are we out I, of touch?
3: I, I I come back to something Douglas said. That, I mean. I sense we are, everyone thinks the moment they're passing through is some terrible crisis. And uh, 50 years ago, everything was so easy and simple and straightforward and golden age. Um, uh, I'm not sure that's going to be true. But um, it is clear that the technology of of social media, um, coupled with the particular phenomenon we're discussing tonight, terrorism, is producing a a, a kind of critical mix, which we find very difficult to handle. I I sort of believe, because I'm an optimist, um, that we'll sort it all out in the end we'll muddle through, somewhere it'll be okay. I don't know why I think that, but that's just my outlook on life. But
2: do you think we're but, out of touch? But, I mean, that's well, basically what we're hearing, this whole conversation theory is...
3: The Douglas theory is if we, if we don't... If we don't sort of my, my subscript to what he's saying, if we don't cover terrorism big, um, people won't trust us anymore. Mm. Uh, and and that, that's a worry. That, that would really worry me. And the reason why they may not trust us anymore or the reason why their lack of trust matters is they'll go to social media. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there, there are two or three new elements at, at, at play here. And I don't know the way through this. I just know that, re- that, that good, responsible media journalism ought to stick to its guns. It ought not to exaggerate. It ought to explain. It ought not to censor. Mm. It ought to explain. But it ought not to get um, frightened by the fact that irresponsible social media are doing other things. And, and, and I do think, as I said before... About, about Google and Facebook and all these other social media activities, I am convinced that within ten years time they 'll be properly regulated in some sense. Okay. Now that may be a, an undemocratic thing, it may be a, an elitist thing i don 't know, but I just think the the degree of, of reckless irresponsibility you do see now with, with the social media will be brought under some sort of control.
2: Mm. Okay, we are drawing to the end of our evening, so we don't have time for more questions. I'm going to have each of the panellists in a minute or less, please, beginning with you, Douglas. Just summarize your thoughts, and then we'll do another show of hands and see how you have all been...
1: No, I would just say that, uh, that I, I think we probably... Uh, there's a fair amount of agreement, honestly. I mean, I think we all recognize that journalists have to exercise a degree of restraint. Uh, the, the, and, uh, and I think we recognize that there are times when journalists don 't and that, that, that it, we get it wrong. Um, I think we 're all in agreement on that. There is one element of this by the way, which I mean always troubles me, and you 've got to be careful about how you say this. but I do think the extent to which the public uh, uh, um, behave on this also matters. you know the, the argument that journalists always use is well it 's what the public wants, and then you miss the crucial thing of. Well, what, the, the public aren't an entirely, you know, sort of amorphous, you know, collection of, you know... Um, of, well, I, I won't use... Them, you know, anyway. But... <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, insert. Uh, uh, um, but, you know, all, the public, we know, we are also uh, um, moral beings, and we can draw our own lines on this. And I just do think that, to an extent, we also all have to be aware of this. Mm. Do we click on the, you know, do we Google, you know, when right. the, uh, you discover that somebody's emails have been hacked, do we Google for the hacked emails and then all we'll have a great laugh about it? Because if we do on that, then we probably do on the
5: other stories as well.
2: Good point. Fawaz, one minute well, or I, less? I
5: mean, I, I, I think probably, uh, as Doctor said, I, we're not disagreeing a great deal. I, my take on it is that we need to give the context, we need to be proportional, uh, we need to put the whole phenomenon in perspective in comparative terms, we need to tell the audience, all of us, uh, that uh, this particular phenomenon has particular roots, uh, that what we are seeing in the <coughs> West here basically are reverberations of a great social and political upheaval <coughs> in the Muslim mm-hmm. world. And I think, most importantly, um, uh, we need to show resilience. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing about the... the I was in Beirut, too, uh, during the attacks. What was it, 2015 or 16? Mm-hmm.
2: It was the day before Paris. Uh,
5: 200 people... Uh, were brutally killed by ISIS in West Beirut. Two hours later, the city, I mean, took care of the dead. they buried the dead, and the city. Two hours later, I went to the same place, back to normal. Of course, deep scars, but the city was able to show resilience, was able to... In Paris, I mean, I I was there in Paris. I mean, the city was traumatized for two, three weeks. I mean, Paris, it... And again, the, the idea of resilience, the idea... And, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think we're very harsh on the media uh, because we, we need to talk about the public. Fear is the greatest beast. Uh, that, and, and, and that's what... Mm. I mean, ISIS and Al-Qaeda traffic in fear. And in this particular sense, how do you restrain this particular beast? That's the question.
3: Simon? All we have to fear is fear itself. That's yes. a the, the mm. famous phrase and, and unbelievably true. Um, I have nothing much to add. I mean, with I, my colleagues here, I think it's, it's a massive problem for the press. I just think we have got to find whole new forms of self-restraint, and we haven't shown it yet. And I don't know how we're going to do it, but I just think it's, it's got to be done. And, and, uh, and I don't think it's satisfactory to say, well, if we over-restrain ourselves, the social media will do it for us. It's like saying, I'm going to get robbed the bank because someone else will do it if I don't do it. Um, uh, th- that's not what we're about. The best solution, however, is, is not to go on talking about it. So let's go home.
2: Well, OK. <laughs> on that note, I'd like to get one last show of hands. Uh, those in favour of the motion, we give too much publicity to terrorists. Raise your hands, please. Gosh, you did a number on them, Simon. (laughs) And those and those against those who do not believe we give them too much? And anyone still who doesn't know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of with you guys actually. It is a very complex issue. Thank you so much to our amazing panelists and your pleasure show.